0: Hi everyone, welcome back to episode two of Stop, Drop, and Watch Bridgerton. I'm Sabrina. And I'm Kat. And today we have a special guest.
1: Hi, I'm Ashley. And I am typically a horror and sci-fi fan, but have taken a little bit of a break from that to watch Bridgerton and I'm excited to talk about it.
2: Episode two is a big episode. Obviously, we ended episode one with some major plot twists, including the introduction of the ruse and Marina being pregnant. And episode two hops straight into it again with the scene of the Duke's
0: birth. That was a rough scene. I think you're really getting to see that this woman put it all out there and she was in a ton of pain. And then her husband immediately whisks away the boy, doesn't check on her at all. And then Lady Danbury's stuck comforting her friend as she passes away. So I think it just really sets up that this is not a great father figure. Was it also not weird to either of you that there was like this giant party
2: outside while the mom is giving birth? And not even downstairs. It was right outside in the hallway where while well, this woman is giving birth. And this is, you know, Victorian or whatever heiress. So you know she's not having an epidural or anything.
1: Yeah, I, I that wasn't so strange to me because I feel like so I guess I should reveal at this point that I got my undergrad in Renaissance literature so I had done a lot of reading around like what you know Victorian England and such was like and that's not that surprising to me because people used to put all that stuff out in the open like you know when you're a royal in this time like people would be there to observe your wedding night to like make sure everybody was on the up and up actually let's just say that the queen future queen was a virgin that kind of stuff so it wasn't that surprising to me that they were outside to me it was surprising that he stormed in because I always think there's a curious dichotomy between like men waiting to hear about a birth but simultaneously being too nervous and afraid and squeamish to like see what really happens but yeah they were having this giant party outside I mean when I was born, my father threw an enormous party at the bar that he was at. He didn't have his, uh, his visa yet to, to come to the United States. And so he was waiting around for news in a bar and buying drinks, him and my grandfather. And, you know, as soon as they heard that I was born, they like ordered a of drinks for the bar and cigars for everyone. All right. So then from there, we get to see the queen
0: waiting fervently for Lady Whistledown's paper. <laughs> Which I thought, I, I, I personally love this scene. It just really shows how much weight, putting Whistledown has gotten into the society and acceptance of who knows the news. What did you guys think? I mean, I felt like this was
2: a very heavy-handed scene to kind of remind us that we are basically the queen or she's at our, our stand-in in the show of being like way too into these people's lives and like obsessive about it. So it was a little heavy-handed for me. The next scene is where the Duke Simon is actually like hooking up in a brothel and not a lot happened there. But I think it was just to show that, you know, he has these like extramarital, if you will, affairs outside and is not some super innocent or naive guy.
1: Is it extramarital if you're not married? (laughs) so if you're catholic it
2: is because anything that happens outside of the confi- confines maybe that's a bad word for it anything that happens outside of the you know marriage relationship is extramarital but you're right that probably for any non-catholics it would just be getting about town next scene is yeah. the promenade scene where the duke and daphne are walking around and talking about how many balls they have to agree to
0: and that he needs to send her expensive flowers yeah. I love this scene. I, I thought it was, it felt like to me, maybe I'm, I'm placing myself into this, but it felt like myself and my fiance Dominic in our early stages of our relationship, everyone always commented that we sounded like an old married couple because we were like arguing and bantering back and forth. And I kind of felt like they had this too. Like they were able to have this conversation. They are both kind of enjoying it as pointed out by Lady Danbury saying that she never sees Simon smile like this. So even though I don't think it's like super hinting at romance yet, you can tell that they're enjoying each other's company and at least respect each other's opinion enough to hear it out. Right. Yeah. And then from there, <laughs> one of my favorite scenes also is when this is where Penelope like, finds out already about Marina being pregnant and the mother says, this condition is catching. Like You need to stay away from Marina to, to her daughters, which I just thought was really, really funny. And she... Runs from there straight out to Eloise to have a conversation about babies. So one of the things that Eloise says right away is that she has other
2: dreams, like attending a university instead of being filled up with babies. And I was like, wow, what a vivid description of what she thinks of, you know, Daphne's future and what, you know, kind of the future for most women in her society was.
1: I really want to find these moments endearing and cute. You know, I love coming of age. You know, shows Big Mouth is a is a good uh, example of this. That's a, I guess you call it adult animated program, that uh, focuses on teenagers going through puberty. It's like uh, all about puberty and really kind of gross and awkward in that way. But I just, to me, it's it just feels really sad that they don't know where where children come from and that, like, they're expected to then be thrown headlong into a situation where they might have children. Yeah, being filled up with babies, you're right, that was, like, a very visceral image. And, you know, it, I don't know. I The word that comes to mind sometimes for me is a little bit tragic because, like, in a tragedy, characters can't escape their their fates and they feel at this moment they can't escape them. It's something I struggle with, with the, throughout the entire series, this, like, being kept in the dark and trying to and, and, and f- really feeling for these characters they try to figure it out but no one will tell them directly yeah so i think it's it's interesting to to think about like this society that is supposed utopia now so there's a lot of Black people and brown people and people of mixed race alongside white people throughout levels of society. And so we're supposed to accept the premise here that this society has gone past race. I mean, they have a queen who is black or at the very least biracial. And yet the sexism and the like, you know, purposeful ignorance of women, the like calculated, you know, keeping women in the dark is so rife and so present. And so To me, I think it's hard for me to suspend this belief in this case that like them as a society has gotten past, you know, everyone is equal, et cetera, except that women, you know, are not. It's just very, it's very strange to me.
2: Totally. And I think like you were saying, I think it's supposed to be like this kind of lighthearted or a little bit comical moment when Eloise and Penelope are talking about this, where she's basically like, you need to figure out how this maid got pregnant, because otherwise, how can we make sure it doesn't happen to us? But definitely... I think you're right that there is, like, the contrast between the society being post-racism and yet so deeply entrenched in gender stereotypes and norms is a little much to take in. In the next scene, we have the callers showing up at the Bridgertons' home, and then Anthony and Lord Burbrook show up together and freak out about seeing all these people there. And he basically kicks them all out again, and then tells his mom, who's like, hey, you know, like, just wait. We're going to see what happens, you know, with the Duke. He tells her, yeah, they've danced together twice, but you know what? Colin has done the same thing with Penelope, and it's just one more reminder of how nobody takes the Penelope-Colin relationship seriously and thinks, like, it's his example of how unserious uh, a relationship can be.
1: Yeah, I think that's really really sad because at this point we're all rooting for Penelope in a way she seems much smarter than her older sisters and much more with it well the older sisters aren't given quite as much airtime even so I'd say they're not really fully developed but I'm gonna say I'm getting a Cinderella vibe like we're supposed to so we're supposed to root for Penelope as Cinderella so yeah so to have her so easily dismissed by Anthony is just kind of dismissed even as a as a woman as a potential like marriage proposition a potential sexual object is like it's interesting who's visible who's not not visible yeah and i think one part from the scene
0: that i did like or i was interested in was when the mother is trying to tell daphne not to worry about what's happening with burbrook like it will work out and you know i actually more than just what was happening with burbrook i started wondering if daphne was starting to feel guilty or worried that Her mom is getting so attached to this Duke relationship because she knows, you know, it's all fake. And I I would feel really bad keeping (laughs) lying to my mom, especially getting her hopes up. I don't know if I could do it like she is. The next scene
2: is where Simon is boxing with his buddy and then Anthony kind of comes up and confronts him. And talks about, like, I don't know what you're trying to do or like why you're trying to mess with this situation, but she is getting engaged to Lord Burbrook, and that's that. And then he says to Simon, family must come first. And the way he says that to him, it's like such a certain thing. And you can see to Simon that that is so clearly the opposite because that's exactly when they switch into the next scene of Simon seeing his father for the first time and he stutters and his dad kind of completely loses it.
0: Yeah, I think this is a scene that I know we kind t- of talked about a little bit of saying the society is past racism, but at the same time, maybe it's not because the father is saying to Simon that, you know, we've been granted this line from the monarchy so long as we remain, we remain extraordinary.
1: Yeah, I do think... This is, you know, there are a few moments where race comes to the, the forefront. Well, I mean, forefront would be, I think, maybe too strong of a way to put it. But race kind of surfaces or is hinted at. And, yeah, the idea of, like, minority exceptionalism, I think, is coming to bear with Simon's father, Lord, the the previous Duke of Hastings. Not Lord Hastings, Duke. I'm sorry. Let's use the proper honorifics if we're going to discuss people. Um, Thank you. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, him saying that, you know, we've been granted this and we need to be exceptional. And because you have a stutter, you're not exceptional. I mean, I am familiar with this in some aspects, you know, being a child of immigrants, I, you know, there is an ethos, at least among Caribbean Americans, that you need to work really, really hard and you need to be perfect. You know, my father once said this to me. He said, you have two strikes against you in this world. You're uh, black and you're a woman. And it's up to you to make people forget about those two strikes. I-, I say this to illustrate that there's this idea baked in that like you have to do the absolute most, 110, to make people forget about their prejudices against you. So it's just I think that's interesting. We don't really see this kind of perfection expected Well, we do see perfection expected from women throughout the series, but here it's like, you know, since this has been given to us as people of of color, you know, we need to be we need to be perfect to hold on to it.
2: It actually really reminds me of being a woman in tech where I have 100% always felt like I can't just be as good as a straight white male doing the same job. I need to be at least two times better. The next scene is where we see Marina going through her letters and Penelope comes in and starts to try and figure out, so where does
0: this baby thing come from? Yeah, I. I, I so there was, like, some funny moments to it where I was like, oh, okay, like, he snuck her sweets and biscuits. Like, man, I guess the way to anyone's heart is just through food because we already saw that with the Duke last episode. But the more I thought about the scene and we kind of uh, are talking through it, I think at first I was like, okay, these letters, they're – like, maybe like it's kind of like middle school. Like, do you really fall in love with someone through these kind of notes passed, like, in the classroom? But it is actually a really different type of love than we've been seeing in the courting that we've been seeing in this London society. You know, for Penelope, she's like, wow, this is really love. She's never seen these written, like, love proclamations put to anyone. I mean, her experience right now is limited to Dancing with Colin. So we can all kind of know that I think this is really saying, like, what happens in this London society versus maybe what happens outside if uh, you can if love brings about having a baby
1: yeah which is kind of a scary concept at least they can grasp marriage you know what i mean they have seen people married but if love causes a baby that I mean I think that you know to a person that doesn't really know the mechanisms of how you get pregnant that's sort of even more terrifying.
2: To be fair, maybe this is a deliberate move on the part of society to if you make women believe that as soon as you have feelings for a man you could get pregnant, no wonder why they're (laughs) rushing them to the altar.
1: Yeah that's true. And they're already not doing so hot, so (laughs) (laughs) they need they need all the help that they can get. (laughs) The next scene is the
2: scene where the queen is talking about how she's super bored by this season because there hasn't been a single compelling proposal yet. And then her head of Brimsley. gossip... Brimsley. Brimsley says, I have this great, you know, drama like story to share about one of our like housemaids or whatever. And the queen literally goes, I don't care about a dish wench. I seek to be enthralled. Firstly... Dish is the new insult of the season. So expect me to be using that going forward. But secondly, this to me was a pretty big departure for a example from Down Abbey, which is all about the servant class as well. And they have their own intricate storylines that are sometimes, you know, mixed with sometimes completely separate with the family they're serving. And that's really not the case in this show.
1: Which I think is interesting because, you know, servants and help are the the, the vehicles of some important plot points and the ways that characters often accomplish or learn about things that really kind of turn the tide yeah
2: <laughs> it's like and i think if i remember correctly there was some like contortionist in front of her at the time when she was talking about being so I'm <laughs> like oh man sucks to be that entertainer where you know she's clearly not interested and would rather hear some like super interesting new proposal afterwards we move to another scene in the past where it's lady danbury talking to simon for the first time basically since he's born and she effectively says you're not dead after all and makes it clear that his father has been pretending and um, talking about Simon as though he passed away too. And she introduces herself as his mother's dearest friend, but she clearly does take, I think, a really deep interest in him as her friend's uh, child. And then she also then tells him, instead of being frightened, you know, like I was made to be frightened my whole life, I made myself frightening. And to me, this was another maybe like kind of subtle hint, like you said, Ashley, this is not at the forefront. In fact, I think you kind of have to almost like look for these allusions or references throughout the show. But another one of her effectively saying, you know, as a, a woman of color, even in this so- supposedly post-racial society, the only way that I could make it through was by making myself like the scariest person that no one wanted to mess with. And you can very clearly tell, like nobody told Daphne or Eloise or Penelope or any of the kind of young younger girls to do this so this is very much like a her telling him like hey you know between us this is these are the things that I need to explicitly tell you on how you make it in this society.
1: Yeah I think it's interesting too in these scenes if we look at just the the staging of this so in the first scene we see Simon where it's discovered that he has a stutter he is in a study in a house he does have like a governess or someone there and you know but there's like a room with objects and stuff and then and then the, this is next scene he's kind of all alone in the room with like a desk and the room is much bigger and you sort of get the sense that like the absence of his father is kind of swallowing him up he seems even smaller even though it's clear by this point that he has grown up a few years his father has this this dukedom this title these responsibilities that he has to step into eventually someday but he is you know there there's so much absence in his life there's so much lacking and so i think the staging of this is interesting to illustrate you know just how alone simon feels and you know sets the scene for for some of the later his later attitudes i do have to
2: say it i think they go a little bit overboard when they make these scenes from his childhood they like turn the color warmth all the way down and make it really dark. And I'm like, all right, we got it. We got it. This is sad. You know, he's neglected. You don't need to make it so over the top with the colors, too.
1: Yeah, I mean, who knew the past was sepia? Like...
0: (laughs) I don't know. That's just Simon. So from there, they move into a ball scene. I just... I mean, I think the problem is every time I see Simon talking,
2: especially with Daphne, but in most of his scenes, I can't help but wonder is it just like the way he's trying to portray the duke character or is it more like a robert pattinson sort of playing edward cullen situation where he actually like hates his lines and thinks it's super cheesy and is not having a good time i i really can't tell i
1: think he has to start off being a little bit hard so that he can have the contrast of like <laughs> getting more softer i mean i i hate to say this this is part of the my basic problem with romantic comedies i would not call this a comedy I don't know if there's enough funny moments for it to be legally a comedy. They don't know where
2: babies come from, Ashley. There's your comedy.
1: That's... That's... (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like laughter. Not enough. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I think he's supposed to be this very, like, gruff, you know, kind of playful person now. And I think, you know, we start to see him melt a little bit at the end of this. So I think that's kind of why he's playing, you know these lines a little bit hard-nosed in the beginning but i mean it's possible that like he thinks these are cheesy i think there's a lot there's a lot of cheese this is this show is you know a melt of a sandwich it's a a fondue it's a fun it's a fondue (laughs) it is a fondue you're right so i do hope that the
2: actor is actually enjoying it and not just there for the paycheck he does look like he's having a lot of fun when he's dancing To be fair, I think, you know, believe it or not, social dance, like waltzes and stuff are a lot of fun. Both Sabrina and I are really into social dancing and waltzing.
0: Yeah, I'm really jealous. (laughs) I wish COVID was over so we could go to a ball. I'm ready.
1: We're going. Uh, Maybe, too, we should mention, like, performative maleness, you know, in public, in this society. The men are, you know, they address each other by their last names. Hastings, Bridgerton, you know. And so it's, th- I think the style of, of maleness in public is to not be very affectionate, to be very, you know, professional and professional is the wrong word, but like, you know, kind of gruff. Although,
2: to be honest, I think that's kind of a, our modern society projecting backwards onto them mm. because it seems like what we know of, I'm, I'm thinking now of like Hamilton and stuff, like the letters that he and Lafayette sent each other. They're like lover-like to my current, you know, modern reader eyes. And so from the little I know, it seems like actually that male friendships were really deep and they were actually like fairly affectionate, at least in the past. So it kind of feels like, a, hey, they're playing to these like our current standards of what it means to be, you know, like A man's man. Yeah,
0: and speaking of man's men and man's having conversations, this is when the confrontation between the Duke, Burbrook, and Anthony happens, where the Duke finally tells Anthony that, you know, Taffany was accosted by Burbrook. And so Anthony tells him off and ends the engagement at the ball.
2: I felt like it was just making Burbrook out to be even more cartoonishly villainous. And he says... You know, this, like, really clearly, this line that is clearly made to incense, like, the modern audience of, like, when I'm buying a horse, I do not negotiate with the horse. And, you know, it sounds ridiculous to us. And we're like, oh, my God, we all hate Burbrook so much. But the truth is, you know, even though Anthony's not saying it or saying it in that way, he's clearly thinking the same thing because he
0: got Daphne engaged to Burbrook without asking her. And I don't think Simon was upset by the horse comment. I think he was upset that he was saying that, like, Daphne's been defiled you know like she's a damaged good at this point so yeah I I agree like the worst comment definitely made me bristle but that wasn't it you know for any of these men like that's not a surprising comment so from there okay well Berber gets beat up rightfully so Simon gets you know reacts after he calls out his father and their relationship and it cuts straight over into a dude and a Simon flashback so I don't think any of us are like, oh, we disagree that, you know, the Duke's not a nice person. But it's just giving a lot of background more to, like, Simon and his backstory that hopefully would give us a more full-rounded view of his character. The main thing that stood
2: out to me about this scene it was that it was kind of unbelievable that this Duke has no plan B. If Simon is such a huge disappointment to him, and Simon's probably, what, like, 8, 11, some, somewhere in that range... The Duke could absolutely get remarried and have more children at this point, and yet he doesn't seem to even consider that at all, which I just don't understand why that didn't happen.
0: I guess it was a plot device. I guess so. I mean, it it definitely is one of those things you just have to accept and get over in the story that there's definitely a hole here.
2: From here is when they move to another promenade scene and this is actually where Anthony and Daphne have their first conversation. I don't know why they hadn't seen each other again since the fall but this is where they first see each other again and Anthony's like why didn't you tell me about Burbrook and what had happened and she asks him like would you have even believed me because I told you what my wishes were and you had ignored them. So I guess I'm curious Sabrina do you think that anthony did
0: anything to redeem himself in this scene or i do feel like he kind of apologized to daphne more here he didn't listen to her earlier but to be fair she didn't really offer any arguments like or points who was just like i don't want to i said i didn't want to you know like i think she could have given him some more reason you know, of like i don't like his character and then burbrook <laughs> shows up totally beaten
2: up and it's like why well, are you out right now if i were you i would not i would like hide in my room for the next few weeks And he effectively threatens Daphne and tells her that we are going to get married in three days from now, or everyone is going to know about what happened in the garden, the fact that you were alone with a man, and you'll be a ruined woman. I don't know about you two, but at least for me, having grown up in like a Catholic household and gone to Catholic schools for most of my life, but this was surprisingly realistic to me the fact that Daphne was like I don't think I have a choice even if you duel him which Daphne, there's no this isn't like a solution he can still say something before the duel the fact that just the merest hint of a rumor of her as a unwed girl having done something or been somewhere alone with a guy really reminded me of what it was like in our high
1: school i think you know if we didn't think that Burbrook was a villain before with the naked sexism I mean I think it's like ratcheted up to a hundred now because I mean he's resorting to 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 threats for something that he knows didn't happen and I've said you know this this cruising for a a bruising thing about him wanting to (laughs) like basically provoking people into beating him up or threatening to duel him I just don't understand it it's so it's so like self-defeating in the end
2: the next scene is when Eloise and Benedict are smoking together, and I felt like it was just one more, like, Eloise, such a rebel, don't we all love her, you know? But they have this conversation about how Eloise is like, I actually want more from life than, you know, like getting married and having children and, you know, being on this, like, marriage market. And Benedict answers her by saying, you're not the only one who wants more. I definitely was like, hey, Benedict is more interesting than I realized. I think he's gay. Like, I, He's going to have a great
0: storyline yeah. from here. I I also thought maybe is he gay? I think we were also just kind of hoping for everyone. We hope for some <laughs> queer content in this show because we already tried to peg Eloise in episode one, which didn't work out so far. But I did think the scene was most interesting just for introducing Benedict. We really haven't seen much of him at all in this whole show. And I do think they're kind of setting up another black sheep of the family. So we'll get to see his plot line develop. And I, I for one, am, like, pretty interested. I mean, I love Colin, but I think Benedict will be another good character.
1: How can you not love Colin? I mean, he's so adorable. Although mm-hmm. I did see a meme um, on the internet that had the three brothers, and it was like, Bridgerton really expected us to tell these three apart, <laughs> and that made me laugh so hard
2: yeah the first time I watched I could not tell them apart and I really had to use that alphabetical order thing to figure out like age order too
1: Mm -hmm. um yeah I think that uh that oh my goodness is it like Anthony Benedict (laughs) Collins oh my gosh (laughs) Daphne
0: Eloise Gregory Hyacinth
1: you know I heard you say this but I was like I don't really I didn't really know what that meant
2: (laughs) I didn't really put it
1: together. I'm just now We're getting it. We're
2: experiencing her live understanding the alphabetical order. And this is exactly <laughs> what I went through when I, like, suddenly got it. And I was like, oh, now I know who's older. And I didn't know where Daphne was in this, like, line either. I thought maybe she was older than Colin because he just seemed so kind of, like, innocent. But no, it's the three older brothers before Daphne.
1: Yeah, when you said the alphabetical order thing, I was only thinking of the girls. I was like, how is this D-E-H? <laughs> get it um but about amazing this, <laughs> about this scene um um what's what scene are we talking about again remind me i had a point the smoking one oh yes i felt the smoking was anachronistic it felt like we could be watching this this is a scene out of like riverdale after they've come out of the prom <laughs> i mean it just felt it just took me out of the show for a little bit i felt like the cigarettes looked very modern you know especially since we could see the queen doing snuff later Oh my gosh, that's actually the next scene. The It's the Queen's luncheon. Yeah. Can you
2: please explain what snuff is for okay. our, our listeners?
1: So I had to look this up because I was convinced that this was a cocaine moment. And so when she mentioned snuff, I looked it up. Snuff is tobacco, powdery tobacco, but you, you use it the same way as you use cocaine, which is why you put it up your nose. And it's, you know, delivers nicotine straight to your brain.
2: I was actually going to ask you, why do you think they showed the queen snorting snuff? Like, what was the point of this in the storyline?
1: I think it's to show us that we may, that we, we might have some wrong ideas about how, like, the people in power in this situation. I mean, mm. the queen is re- revered. Everyone takes her opinion so seriously, but she behaves like an ordinary person. She jumps out the bath to read to re- la- the Whistledown um, release. She is snorting snuff and feeding her dog butter directly from the <laughs> same dish that like humans are eating. I mean... You know, she, she's a regular person, but we've ascribed a certain label to her, and it seems weird when she deviates from it. We've, we're ascribing labels to everyone in this story, unconsciously or consciously, and it's this kind of, it's this woman, like, laying out on a, you know, on a daybed going, going off. So it's um, (laughs) getting a little bit jiggy with her snuff. So I think it's it's an interesting commentary on like what we think about people and who they actually show up as might be different.
0: All right. So Lady Bridgerton has to bring things into her own control. So she invites over the mother of Lord Brokebrook for tea. And I think this is really where you to see the power in the household This may be not what happens in the front room. It's what happens in the back with the servants being the gossipers and knowing... You know, the the scandal that will ruin Burbrook and save Daphne. I do think we are kind of, (laughs) I don't know if we believe it. Do we think it's like a strong enough or just too convenient of a secret to damn Burbrook? What did you guys think? Well, again,
2: I thought it was kind of funny that they got it out of the ladies maid within one luncheon or tea, whatever it was. Um, That seemed really convenient to me. And then the other thing I thought was kind of hilarious was that Lady Burbrook had barely left the room when the Viscountess is like okay what did you hear and it reminded me again Sabrina of how the one thing you don't like about this show
0: is that anyone can say anything to someone else and they somehow never hear it yeah I hate that my friend Liz shout out Liz thanks for listening but she told me she's like I think Sabrina just doesn't like when it looks unrealistic in a film and I was like yeah apparently I can't take when things are not done to make it seem believable that this one it didn't rub me as badly as last episode in the garden but it was another hint of like okay how, how could the mother have not heard them screaming about the gossip right when she was still leaving the house
1: i think this was this was this was believable as this as a scene in terms of it bringing lord burbrook down in terms of his inability to provide for this um, child that he has, I think it spoke to some like dishonor. It's dishonorable to do. I mean, it looks bad. It ruins, you know, the, your household, really. And so, you know, I think some of the implication in him not taking care of this child is not only is he a dishonorable man, but he doesn't have the funds. And that's not good either. So uh, I think the, the whole tea with Lord Burbrook's mother is meant to emphasize. Daphne cannot end up in the hands of this family. This woman is horrid. She eats kippers (laughs) on (laughs) rye toast for breakfast. You know, it's funny. The scenes with the servants whispering reminded me a lot of Handmaid's Tale. Not to drag the mood down. Mm. I don't know if you all have seen that show. But some of the information that's key about, like, the resistance stuff gets passed like this in Whispers. So, interesting. I mean, the show runs on gossip. So it makes sense yep. that gossip saved the main character from a certain, you know, being, being with the dragon of the story. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so what did you think of the
0: wrap-up of the Burbrook business? I, I, I love the montage of the woman gossiping and talking about it. But I was actually pretty surprised that this plot didn't drag over at least another episode. It seemed very quick. I feel like it would have been great to even see Simon get, like, more jealous or more upset uh, about the situation unraveling. Maybe more believable, like, moving his character further along. But at the same time, I'm I'm very happy that Burbrook's, like, out of the show now. Totally. I mean... I
2: think that it was really sad that the scandal, like Ashley said, was that he had this baby and didn't provide for it. Not that he forced himself on this maid, you know, or anything about that. And they really wrapped this up super efficiently. But on the other hand, like, I was ready for him to be done when they first introduced the character. And I don't want to have to ever say the name Burbrook again. It's actually a really annoying name to say.
1: Yeah. And I mean, he raised the stakes with the three day deadline, so they had to wrap it up quick because it was like they they made a kind of either do or die situation.
2: He did it to himself.
1: Yeah, he did. I mean, like everything, like the punches to his face. He he was doing it to himself the whole time. He did everything that he got to himself. Cruising for a reason.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And then we get to see the Queen of Sass, the Lady Bridgerton school, Anthony, on (laughs) the way this situation was resolved by her. I thought it was really well done. Like her amount of sass is probably the best in the show. Maybe more than the queen. I actually loved how the
2: Viscountess was basically like, I am more than capable. You got us into this mess and I will get us out of it. Like we don't need you. And then she effectively just closed the conversation by being like, I'm making this thing, you know, for Daphne's dowry. Do you want
0: one for your bride too? And he had nothing more to say. I really wish that Anthony had apologized more wholeheartedly during the scene. I thought he could have just been like, this is my bad. Like, I'm sorry, honestly. Like, he could have brought the whole family down. Instead, he's like, I resolved to handle matters differently in the future. Which is, like, such a, like... Not apology. <laughs> yeah, not apology. Like, I'll be better. But I hate. I hate when people say things like that. I, I'd much rather mm-hmm. them just, like, accept their faults. But, I mean... It moves on, I think, from this, and hopefully we'll see something better from Anthony. I'm always hopeful for Anthony that something will get better. You really are.
1: Yeah. I mean, this is the second dressing down his mother has given him. And yeah. He's, <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's failed to rise to the occasion twice, and the second one, she was like, you almost, you know, you almost bought the farm for us. Like, you cannot be trusted. Get your house, like, get a wife, or, you know stay 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 out of this yeah yeah you need to stay down because you clearly don't know what you're doing so yeah your own house
0: isn't in order so you know stay out of mine yeah so we get to see marina update she's still in the bedroom she wants to be out but can't yeah no, no not much of marina in this episode which was kind of disappointing um i don't know what she would have done but i was hoping for more one of the next scenes, though, is the one between Eloise and Daphne,
2: and these are actually pretty rare. There's not that many scenes with these two sisters together, and I have to say, poor Eloise. I don't know, what are they doing with her clothing? She's always wearing the dowdiest outfits with the highest neckline. She's wearing these stupid kind of like head bandy sort of objects on her head, and then standing next to Daphne, who's clearly already supposed to be the beautiful one of the family and who's also like dressed in these like really beautiful regal empire waisted ball gowns and I don't know if it's just because Eloise isn't out yet that she has to wear kind of like dopey clothing or if it's because they're just trying to set her up for like a, her own Cinderella moment in
1: her season later on but I felt bad for her. Agree and I mean but, I, but this is a very I think kind of tragic feeling scene for a lot of other reasons in part because Eloise says you know is it is it taxing to be you know continue to put on this front and main and pretend the way that you do all the time pretend that everything's fine when you're there's a lot unknown there's and you're scared too I mean I think it's I think that was kind of a, a sad thing for both of them sad thing for daphne to go well yeah i mean shoot like she kind of sees through a little bit of this but is daphne pretending that's a question I, w- I want you know to know what you both think about do you think daphne's pretending when she thinks that there's a light at the end of the tunnel and that everything will turn out okay or you know does she really think that
2: i'm pretty sure we both have different opinions on this for me i'm like you know daphne's kind of simple-minded i think she actually does believe what she's saying and thinks that everything's gonna be fine. And to her credit,
0: she did just resolve this terrible situation with Burbrooks, so maybe she's not wrong. I I don't think Daphne's that simple-minded. I do think she's trying to convince herself and her sister that things will get better from here. I mean, realistically, she just had like the worst life shown to her and she thought that was gonna be reality. And now she's past that. So she's like, probably like, how much worse can it be? Like, there must be a light from this. And I do think like, obviously, she's been through a huge scare. I'm a younger sister. So I guess I also will always take my older sister's advice with a grain of salt. But (laughs) (laughs) I mean, everyone has their own experiences. So (laughs) I think as a
2: middle sister, I look at this scene, and I am really glad that Eloise calls Daphne out on this kind of like, BSC answer. Because for me, I don't, understand why you wouldn't be super transparent with your sister to me that's how you like build trust is be like yeah you're right this is really scary i don't know what's gonna happen either and like we can you know be scared together
1: so i'm an eldest and i have three younger sisters and yeah i understand the impulse to appear strong and confident when your younger siblings are um, scared of something i think she she comes to things after like after the chips are set against her You know, towards the end of the of the episode, she says, you know, this is my life and I know what I want. It's like you almost had to lose all this for you to come to this. Like we had to push you. You know, you come out fighting when you're backed into a corner. But, you know,
2: so you were just alluding to this ball scene where, you know, she and Simon are dancing and she tells him basically like, hey, this might be just a game to you, but it's my life. There are two other things I think I have to touch on in the ball scene. One, Girls Like You plays in the background, the orchestral version, and I loved it again. And then secondly, that champagne tower. I need one for my home for any future parties post COVID that I ever host. And I love that it is so central and like that they appreciate it that, uh, so much that it is actually the center of the ballroom and they're all dancing around it too.
0: What I've learned is you want a champagne tower and I want this spectacular lights display for our weddings. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess we've now figured out what you appreciate. But I thought this scene was interesting. Like, I mean, she was really intense. She was like, this is not a game. This is not a ruse. This is my life and you better help. You know, we're not playing. And then I feel like that would be like, I feel like any modern day guy would be like, oh, my God, the pressure. Like, you know, like, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. And he's like, call me Simon like (laughs) and that is like kind of his response it just it's just doesn't feel super believable to me that that's gonna be how someone accepts a responsibility like that
2: and this big um call me by my first name scene really reminds me of a lot of like animes and just general japanese culture because it's such a big deal the first time you call someone else especially the other gender or whatever by their first name it's like a huge deal and it was the same for them where you could see Daphne kind of pauses and then, you know, she has this
0: moment of, oh, this is like, this is a, a big deal, calling him Simon. This ball scene, too, when they're dancing, this the whole time I'm kind of just like waiting for them to kiss. Like, they're dancing so close. I, I was just always like kind of on the edge of my seat of like, is it going to happen? That'd be like a scandal in the middle of the ballroom. And I knew it kind of wasn't. But at the same time, like they are definitely more into each other physically.
1: Yeah, the, the sort of, like, close contact permissiveness and these rules about it are so interesting to me. Like, the 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 sort of rules about, like, public and private and the fact that you can be much closer to someone, but it's in public and it's better. It's fine. I will say I found this, this scene, I don't, I think I used the word titillating, but I, that might be too <laughs> strong. Forward. I think it was... This is more interesting to me, the sort of small touches with their faces getting really closer and his hand in the small of her back than some of the scenes later on in the show. Maybe I'm just a prude. You know, maybe this is my (laughs) my renaissance literature background. (laughs) But I would much prefer to see them like get very close and, you know, him laughing as they're dancing and then he like touches her skin on her back and it's like, oh my God, you know, that is like much more of a shocking, like, Mm -hmm. you know, let's bring more of that to television. (laughs) I want that. I don't need to see, you know, any full frontal or anything like that. Like let's bring, let's bring romance back to TV. I think this tells
0: me we should invite Ashley back whenever we watch a (laughs) K-drama. It seems like (laughs) it will be right up your alley. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) The kiss is like the final scene. (laughs) Yes, yes. All right. So, from there, the last scene is where the father and Simon are together again, and the father is on his deathbed. It was a pretty dark scene. I I was pretty turned off by Simon during the scene. It was a little too much for me, but... I mean, I felt like it was
2: supposed to be sort of this cathartic moment that after all the previous kind of flashbacks we'd seen where his father was, like, super abusive and just, like, overall terrible, but... When he ends it by kind of, like, mocking the fact that his father can't speak anymore, I understand the parallelism, but if they really wanted to go with the full kind of parallel moment, he wouldn't have said, speak, you fucking monster. He would have called him, like, an imbecile or an idiot or, you know, kind of what his dad had called him. But, yeah, it was definitely really dark, and I didn't feel that sense of catharsis. I felt more like a sense of, like, impending doom, like... Simon, what have you done to yourself? Why would you make this vow, you
1: know? Yeah, I think it served here to explain that Simon didn't say he would never marry because he's just a huge rake and he likes sleeping around. It's because he made this promise to his father to ruin him. Mm -hmm. And I think it had this feeling of like, you know, I'm pulling the house down on both of us. Like, the you know, the Hastings name will die with me. It was kind of like, I am damning both of us to the annals of history to be forgotten because I hate you that much. And so I didn't feel like like Simon really won in this situation. I mean, I, I think he may have felt like he got his revenge, but it's a revenge that involves kind of taking it out on himself. And it was kind of it was sad, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was kind of a dark way to end the episode. So before I let you go,
2: I'm gonna ask each of you as usual, what was your favorite part of this episode?
1: The ballroom scene with the touching of the back. I don't know, I don't know. know. I've been thinking about this for days and um, thinking about this episode for days too in in prep of coming on here. And it really is my favorite scene because I just feel like, I don't know, maybe I'm lacking in romance. No offense, let's let's (laughs) hope my boyfriend does not listen to this. (laughs) maybe just because it feels it feels very subtle to me where so much of the show was so ham-handed and heavy sorry Shonda please don't hate me (laughs) it's very unspoken especially because after the back touch Simon sees her dancing with another man and you begin to feel these stirrings in him where he's like hold up I might wait what and she looks at him and you feel like it's that spark that I just really enjoyed seeing like watching that happen so yeah
2: whenever anyone says stirring since Simon I now think of you Sabrina and TikTok. your comments around the TikToks yeah <laughs> it's
0: not my fault TikToks but yeah for me this this episode was pretty heavy in a lot of it so I think my favorite moments were actually just like the comedic element around Eloise and Pelopi trying to figure out how a woman becomes a child I just found it like to be a very light-hearted touch throughout that kind of connected the whole storyline so that was kind of my favorite from this episode On the exact opposite side, my favorite scene
2: is where the Duke is berating Simon and telling him, you know, we got this land from the monarchy and what they give, they can take. So you need to be extraordinary because I felt like it was like the one time in this show they're actually being a little bit real about the fact that there is no such thing as like a post-race society.
0: All right. So that is episode two. Thank you so much, Ashley, for joining us in this discussion. And we'll be back with episode three soon. And bringing your hot takes.
1: (laughs) Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. This was fun. Thanks both. (laughs)